Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're so glad that you're here. As always, I am your host, Lauren Ash, and as always, I am joined by my co-hostess with the most S, Christy Oxborough. How you feeling? I'm feeling great. I stuttered. I stuttered in that opening. I, said I was doing nothing. three things, and I should have just taken a beat. Oh, I I get it. I I don't know how to do one thing at a time because my brain is always doing eight. Yeah. But this is going to get interesting because this episode I finished a few days ago and I'm halfway through the next episode. And just before we recorded this, I finished writing a last call. So I'm everywhere. Because you're everywhere to, to me. me. Yeah. I love to see this for you. <laughs> I always love when we have a situation like this where we're trying to get ahead and you're not as familiar with the material as you were three days ago. Because sure. then it feels like we're discovering it together for the first time. Yes, I do love that. However, in this particular case, um, uh, it's 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 going to be a challenge name-wise. Mm. There are a lot of pronunciations I'm not 100% on. I would like the dear people to know if there's ever a name person, place, anything like that, that I'm like, I'm not sure. I do literally Google, how do you pronounce this? And then I write it phonetically for myself to try and get it. Yeah. So I'm just really hoping that whatever I use is giving me the right answer. So I we're just hoping for the best. You try your best. You're consistent. You give a shit. That's all that matters. I'm tr- I'm, I am trying. Yeah. And the joke is the... The thing I was writing just before this was a whole other whack of 
names and places and people that I couldn't pronounce for a completely other different reason. From another country, I couldn't pronounce their stuff. So I'm like, can't wait. <laughs> can't wait. Well, what It'll I like, great. what I like is you're continuing to challenge yourself. And yeah. that's how the growth happens. Hey. Growth doesn't happen in a in a world that doesn't feel overwhelming or stressful sure. or uncomfortable. Oh, well, then that's I'm when growing you grow. all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love to see this for you. I love yeah. it. Um, <clears throat> listen, what you drinking over there? You got a Slurpee going? All I have is water. I I am behind. I am I'm everywhere and nowhere. You're doing great. Not, I mean, I Diet Coke. I got the water and then yeah, I did get a I did get a Slurpee. Like you messaged me and we're like, are you ready to go? And I said, just pulled into my garage. <laughs> yes. And the truth is, is that I was yeah. hoping that she needed more time because then I was gonna slip out and go get a fountain diet coke from McDonald's, which yeah. for Diet Coke drinkers is the pinnacle of Diet Coke. Sure. Um sure. I can't get into why. We don't know, but oh no, I read about this. There is a theory. That uh, because the straw is wide, it like lets it more bubbles get up or something. Interesting. I thought that was an interesting theory. Huh. I I want you to know I'm doing my best not turning that into some sort of a dick joke. I immediately was going to say, or it could taste that good because Ronald McDonald swizzles it with his stir stick. <laughs> like, I don't know. Why? Why do I have to sexualize Ronald McDonald? That's not appropriate or First necessary. of all, I had no idea that's where you were taking it. I thought we were going to, you were going to be like, it's it's better because the straw is thicker. And I was going to be like, that's why the the thicker ones are better. Like, I, that's where yeah, I was yeah. going with it. Not specifically patron St. Ronald McDonald's. Junk. Patron St. Ronald McDonald, which I've called him on this show before, yeah. As um, far as I'm concerned, he's like a Ken doll down there. Oh, I think so. I think that that would All be... All Ken dolls except for Ryan Gosling. Yeah. He needs to be anatomically correct. I think that he is, for sure. I hope so. Um, This is bringing me <laughs> to a question that I shouldn't ask. Move on, Lauren. Move on from this, but I can't. Nope. Alas, I can't. Yep. I don't think that any of the McDonald Land characters are sexual. I want to make that very clear. 100%. Yeah. They're innocents, but I think the Hamburglar fucks. <laughs> you know sure. what I mean? I'm yeah. not sexually attracted to the Hamburglar. I want to make that very clear. Of course. But do I think that he, like, A, has game and B, can pull ladies or people, gentlemen, whatever he's into? Sure. Yeah, I do. Wow. Okay. I mean, the mask does have a hard eyes wide shut kind of vibe. Yeah. So I could see it. And doesn't he have a cape? He does. And that makes me feel like maybe Who fucks he's into, harder like... than a cape. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, maybe he's into underground sex clubs. I don't know. <laughs> as long as it's all consenting and no one gets hurt, hamburglar, go with God. You know what I'm saying? So in the underground sex club that involves McDonald's characters, <laughs> is it like a play place? <laughs> Someone's, you know, boning in a ball pit somewhere. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. Oh, my God. That's brilliant. Oh, Look, my God. I don't and then they just about... roll out of the ball pit. Start deep frying some nugs. I was just going to say, I don't know a lot about the underground like kink community. 
I, sure. Again, as long as everyone's consenting, I say, God bless you. Do whatever the heck you like. Yeah. Um, but I feel like there does have to be a crossover. And that is a gr- like calling it the play place and that there's like some kind of like darker uh, images of the McDonald land character. Like you're saying a food element. I'm just saying, I think that that's a billion dollar idea. Sure. And the only thing <laughs> I- I'm going to say on the matter. I bet Grimace eats. <laughs> too far and we're we've gone we've crossed less over. than 10 minutes <laughs> i'm shocked it i'm shocked we've never yeah. gotten to this before and i'm also shocked we got to it so quickly um but did you meet food yeah. you meant food did i i don't know i did i think i could see him at the nice- play place <laughs> all things are off oh grimace is limits. a daddy you know what i mean like <laughs> come on <laughs> if we're gonna start sexualizing them which i want to preface yeah. this saying i don't typically <laughs> But this is like the Muppet conversation where I was talking about (laughs) what Muppets I would date. Yeah. Yeah, Like, I mean, to me, it's like Ronald is like the Kermit. He feels like he's a good guy. You know what I mean? He's the guy that you should try and date. But there's the bad boys involved. And like Hamburglar, for sure a bad boy. He's the guy who plays in a band that doesn't call you back. You know what I mean? But it's like. The second he texts you at 11 p.m., meet me at the play place. You're like, let me get my themed handcuffs and go, you know. Um, But Grimace, I feel like, is like the sleeping giant. You know what I mean? He's sure. I think he's he's also like got moves. Wow. Okay. I don't know if the merch store will let me make shirts (laughs) that say Grimace is a daddy, but if they will, it'll happen. Or like Grimace, the OG daddy. Um, I don't think he's a zaddy. Do we know that? Do we know his gender? Their gender? I don't believe so. I always assumed. Bert, is it Bertie? I assumed Bertie. she w- she was female, but I have nothing to base that on. Yes. Um. <clears throat> I always did too because it was. I. I mean, again, as a child, I always gravitated towards female characters, so I always sure. really liked Bertie because she was the only. I thought my perception was she was the only female. Sure. I feel like we've heard Grimace talk at some point though, and that have he has a very we? low voice. But maybe maybe this is a Kathleen Turner situation. Hey. Oh, I love Kathleen Turner. Um, there was there not some sort of like McDonald's live action movie, something about pirates? I re- I'm recalling them in costumes for some reason. I might have dreamt this. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fever dream I'd like to be a part of. Because if so, then we'd know the voices. Like, yeah, we'd have to find There's it. There's something called The Wacky Adventures of Ronald McDonald. Oh, my God. It's tell me it's an origin story. <laughs> I also kind of want him to have a very similar origin story to John Wick. <laughs> but instead of killing people... His goal is to get everybody fed. <laughs> so I am going to tell you something you know? right now that's going to blow your mind. Yeah. Now, I have not fact-checked, dear listeners, so don't come for me. This was a quick visit. A quick visit. Yeah. A quick Google. Yeah. But, but, mm-hmm. I am seeing at least two sources saying this. Grimace, 
is supposed to represent a taste bud. So you're damn right he eats. Isn't that also really weird? Yes! <laughs> what McDonald's- child of the 80s knew what a taste bud was? Well, it says McDonald's also implies that its identity is fluid. And it could also embody a milkshake or a blob. I always thought milkshake, but then I was like, there's no green, there's no purple milkshakes. I love that I never questioned why everybody else was very clearly like a robber, a bird, a, you know, whatever. But I just never questioned why Grimace didn't specifically have, uh, they weren't an animal. They weren't a person. Like it just, there was nothing about it that I was like, I was like, oh yeah, this makes sense. For there to be some sort of wacky character. Look, for some reason, I can see a cover of a movie. I'm going to have to look into it. A total of six 40-minute episodes were produced and released on VHS, with five of them being exclusively available in participating McDonald's restaurants from 98 to 2003. Smart. That was... What's that? That's smart. Yeah. Um, But this... I can't tell if this was live action or not. No, this this looked to have been animated, I think. But I do see a a Ronald McDonald live action holding a sign. Is it a mix, maybe? Is it a mix? I like this a lot. Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. The Wacky Adventures of Ronald McDonald. Yeah. Oh, pirate. There's a pirate. You're right. Well, there's. I saw something here with a pirate. I just, like, I can see it in my head. Episode two is called The Legend of Grimace Island. You know, we got to start getting sponsorship because we're really, we talk about them so much on this show. <laughs> we do. We do. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just, it's, I found an image of them like being DJs. Grimace is like really That's cute. I mean, Ronald's going too hard. Well, but I kind of am also living for it. Uh, but yeah, in my head, I can see this movie cover. I'm going to search until I find the exact cover I'm thinking of, because I have a feeling it might not be them. It might be somebody else. Oh God. What if I'm just confusing it with an episode of magic school bus? Cause that's also possible. I just, for some reason, I really see it. Well, um, because, oh, it's a really terrible picture, but I, I was like, oh yeah, there's, you know, um, Miss Frizzle and whatever. I clicked on it to make it bigger. It's oh, Ronald, that's Ronald Mc- McDonald. It's Ronald McDonald in a, with a spaceship, not the magic school bus. So it's very magic school bus like, but yeah, see, no, the one I'm thinking is live action for sure. I'll have to I'll have to find out. But look. we're going to get to the bottom of this is the point. The bottom line is if we've learned anything over the last 13 minutes, it's that yeah. I am a degenerate whose brain goes to places it needn't. No. And I took us down a road we didn't need to go on, but I stand by my statement Grimace is a daddy. I I mean, if nothing else, I wish more than anything that this was the pilot episode of our McDonald's podcast. I 
wish it was just we us. We have to stop pitching podcasts, though, because we always reference them on this show, and, and, and we can't tease them. Uh, we can't keep up. We, we can't keep all, up. We've commented about making at least 10. Yeah. And I think the problem is, is that if we had a podcast network, that's one yeah. thing. But we can't be on all the shows. Can't we? You're right. We, it would be like, what day is it? Okay, that Monday's the McDonald's podcast. Tuesday's True Crime and Cocktails. Wednesday's wow. got to be something W because <sighs> it's just every day of the week we're going to be recording an episode for a different show. Maybe Wednesday's Wacky World of Lauren, which is a shout out to my um, short-lived webpage I made in high school on Angel Fire. Angel Fire, of course. Uh, I like that a lot. You know? And it's, and I mean, that podcast is... It's olden days, you know? Yeah. But that podcast would probably be hard to listen to because it would just be a lot of, like, me giving you my internal monologue. Oh, I think they'd live for it. Uh. We'll see. We'll see. We got a couple updates before we get into the case. Yeah. Things that are in the news that we've talked about on the show before that we would be remiss if we didn't bring up this. Um, First of which, Alec Baldwin. Obviously, I discussed in great depth uh, the Rust uh, shooting that happened um, in the uh, Sarah Jones episode of the show. Yeah. Um. And it has come out that uh, Alec Baldwin ha- is going to be charged with the shooting death of Helena Hutchins. Right. He's not going to be charged in the shooting of the, uh, was it the producer who was on set? I should have taken notes. Anyway, there was another person who was shot but not killed. He's not going to be charged with that. Um, the armor is also going to be charged. And the first AD, who I will remind everyone, um, the first AD on set is in charge of safety. That is the number one uh, thing that they're supposed to be doing. That person has taken a plea deal. Has taken hmm. a plea deal. So <clears throat> it's it's a it's a tough thing. I mean, I made it very clear in my coverage of that episode that I personally believe that. Alec Baldwin should not be held liable. And I do stand by that. Um, It is not part of your job description as an actor when working with guns to check the gun yourself. That's not your job. Um, There are multiple other people, the first AD included, the armor, who are supposed to be doing that for you, checking it in front of you, all of the above. So I think it's interesting. I know a lot of people feel because he was also a producer on the movie that therefore he should also be held liable. That's arguably a different... Uh, take to me. Um, sure. And you could, I could argue either way on that, to be honest. Um, because again, I guess for me, I would have to get more knowledge in like, what were his producer duties? Was it just sure. a vanity title or was he actually doing that job? Those kinds of things. Um, so I can see holding him responsible in that capacity, but I personally, as an actor, it scares me that this sets precedence that... If if he's held liable, um, that that could open the door if another terrible accident happened. So that's my two cents on that. We'll keep you posted as there's more on Alec Baldwin. Uh, and then the other update, of course, people tagging us in a lot of things is, of course, Carol Baskin. Um, now, listen, this is a teachable moment. <laughs> and it's sure. very rare that I tough love. It's not. I don't like it. It doesn't suit me. 
Sure. Doesn't suit me. However, I do feel like I have to say um, <clears throat> we were getting tagged a lot in this update. Yeah. That Carol Baskin's first husband was is alive and well in Costa Rica. Yeah. Here's the thing, dear listeners. It's not true. So Carol Baskin has said that publicly. Yeah. And that was reported and a bunch of articles came out saying that. But there has been no proof uh, as of now. I, I did Google this before <clears throat> we sat down to record. Both the police and the FBI have not updated him. He is still considered missing, um, according to those sources. And the only person that I can find, excuse me, source that I can find who is reporting was Carol Baskin. Now, there was a document um, that was allegedly written by the Department of Homeland Security uh, around the time that he went missing. And it stated that he was alive and well in Costa Rica. But here's the thing. The document is dated around the time he went missing, which was five years before the Department of Homeland Security was created. So I don't know what that document is. I don't know who wrote it. We know that Carol has a history of notary fraud and has happily forged documents before. Sure. I'm not accusing anyone of any anything. I'm merely presenting the facts as we know them. Sure. So I say this, dear listeners, because I think something, and I've talked about this before when we had an update about JonBenet Ramsey, which turned out to not be an update, is that I just implore people to to really, you know, it it actually doesn't take that long to fact check articles. You can find out. I mean, I found out very quickly with a quick Google that sure. this was not true. And I just think it's so important before we start sharing things to our you know, platforms, regardless of the size of your platform, it's that old adage, you know, where it's like you tell two people and they tell two people and, th and then all of a sudden there's this story that's being passed around that is false. And I think when we're talking about death and, and crime and all of those things, that's a really a scary thing. So again, I don't like it. I don't like putting on my tough love hat. In fact, this is the first time I think I put it on in the history of the show, but I would just implore yeah. people, you know, if you see something that is a uh, an attention grabbing headline like that, read the article at least before sharing it to make sure that it feels like what's being reported isn't just a clickbaity title. And then if it still feels off, I would again just do a quick fact check. You can find out pretty quickly um, because I think spreading um, you know misinformation is 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 uh, is not great, especially when it doesn't help justice for anybody involved, including the loved ones of people. Um, who are missing and presumed dead, for example. So there yeah. you go. One thing I found surprising, there. I mean, this article, once it came out from one source, it was everywhere. Uh, the first one that I found that outright in the article was like, yes, it, it, the, their source is Carol. Like the first person, the first place to put it out that was that was like, whoa, why are we saying this? Was TMZ of all people. Like, yeah, news places, CNN, all of that were putting that same article out. But the clickbaity one, yeah. But it was TMZ that were like, it's not true, guys. Which I felt, it, it was a weird turn. They were not who I expected. So I guess my apologies to TMZ for having the opinion I did. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, again, it is surprising to think that they would have the journalistic integrity of fact-checking an article. Um, 
Yeah. And that someone like, you know, uh, more more mainstream news sources would not. But, you know, it's really I think it's a symptom of the 24 hour news cycle, which has I think become even more crazed since the pandemic when we were all at home and sure. and it was like, we got to get news out. We've got to report anything, put anything out, get a story out like that kind of like frantic energy. It leads to, again, misinformation um, being spread, which, again, I just try and always think of this from the perspective of the victims and the families of the victims. And it doesn't ultimately help if we're, um, you know, not holding people accountable for essentially also spreading a lie. Sure. I also am going to look a little bit further into this this Homeland Security document because I was like, that's Mm. wild. The fact that it was like dated before the Department of Homeland Security even was created. Yeah, that feels like, you know, like if you're going to if you're going to fake a document. Look into it first. Well, to that, I have the same note. Fact check, Carol. If you're, yeah. or or whoever made the document, fact check. Make sure that that yeah. existed at the time that you're dating the letter for. Yeah, the internet is so vast yes. and so easily available. Carol or or whoever. whoever. Um, but what I could not love more the direction the last ten minutes has gone of this show. <laughs> that it's been about ten minutes since. Yep. You so beautifully stated that Grimace is a daddy. What I like is I've gone from from Grimace is a daddy into a very serious plea about like, I worry about this for for actors, the precedence that this set legally, mm-hmm. uh, this sets legally, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Um, <clears throat> ultimately, I think telling stories that don't involve guns is also the best idea. But anyway, uh, and yeah, and now just like a really sharp note about, well, no, it wasn't sharp. I'm being pretty nice about it. Why wouldn't I be? Oh, I saw, I, I saw a real... Uh, shortly before we recorded, I cannot remember uh, the person's name, but it was like, <laughs> I could be so much meaner than I am, but I'm not. So just, just know I could be so much meaner. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Yeah, there I are some things I want to be mean. So many aspects can't. of my life. <clears throat> I think about that a lot. But listen, my personal mantra in life is I never regret choosing kindness. And that is the truth. And I've always operated from that place. Now, is it true that, you know, there's times when, you know, in traffic, for example, I may fly off the handle? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's that's because they they push you and and your life is on the line. You know. They've made you that way. The cars have made me that way. Yeah. 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 Look, I get it. I get it. That's... If I'm going to snap anywhere, it's at somebody cutting me off. Yeah. Or for me, it's if the rival gang and my gang have met up and we're about to start a dance battle. That's when I'll snap. I like that that your gang is about dance. That's what I like. I was thinking like sharks and jets. You know what I mean? Of course. Yeah. Of course. Well, I already... In my brain, I was like, well, I guess if you're in L.A., God, I guess Kevin Bacon's on your team. On your team. It's not a sport. In your gang is what I meant. Oh, God. If gang war was, were if it was dance-offs, okay, who would you pick for your gang? 
Well, I did watch every minute of Dancing with the Stars this last season. <laughs> and I'll tell you, top of my list, Derek Huff. He can hey. move. Yeah, sure. I'm saying he's going to have a tough time going up against my side. A Channing, a Tatum. <laughs> Different kind of dance. Different, Different kind, kind of dance. dance. Look, I'm going to enjoy watching uh, my gang move. That's weird. And move and shake like, like a this. Yeah. Shout out John Lovitz. He hasn't done anything problematic, has he? I hope not, but no offense, Ugh. sir. You're not going to be on my, my gang. On my gang. Listen, on that note. Yeah. We're talking the case of Gia Khan today. Uh, Gia Khan. If you don't know anything about this case, don't worry, you're not alone, because neither do I. Hey. Uh, but as always... Christy has given us a bit of background to get us up to speed, which I will share with you now. Bollywood actress Gia Khan was just 25 years old when she was found hanging from a ceiling fan in her apartment in Mumbai. Despite the fact that evidence and fingerprints were missing from the scene, police were quick to rule the case a suicide. So did Gia Khan really take her own life or did someone stage the scene to look that way? And if police were so convinced it was a suicide, then why did Gia's boyfriend get arrested? Christy Oxborough investigates. You're damn right she does. She also quickly apologizes in advance for any mispronunciations. Just know we're doing our best. Doing your best. Um, I'm also going to say, there. Uh, this obviously, it's a journey. It always is. Um, so I end up mentioning multiple other uh, cases that are kind of mixed in and intermingled and all of that. But I have to say, the people involved in this overall, not all of them, but the majority are some of the most beautiful people I've seen in my life. <laughs> like, yeah. Like every time I was like, oh, I better uh, find photos for the case file. And I was like, Kate, type in a name. And I was like, damn, okay. And then it was like the next one, damn, like the list it's wild. Like, I was like, oh, wow, she is stunning. And then I'm like, oh, shit, so is she. Like, it's just, the the beauty was really shocking to me. Yeah. I just, I didn't go into it thinking, it, I mean, a lot of these are actors. So I guess that makes sense. But, wow. And, hey, there was I like one it. I saw and went, whoo, he's handsome. I don't think so anymore because I don't like him as a human. Oh. After after having researched him. So no, that'll it's do nice. It. It's nice. But the other ones, still hot. So hey. the beauty, I mean, hopefully when you look through the case file, it will uh, make you forget any mispronunciations I may make. Yes. Because again, a lot of beauty there. So uh, disclaimer off the top. This episode will contain mentions of suicide, sexual assault, and self-harm. So trigger warning for those who need it. Nafisa Rizvi Khan was born February 20th, 1988 in New York. Her father, Ali Rizvi Khan, was a businessman and her mother, Rabia Amin, was an actress who appeared in 10 Hindi films throughout the 1980s. For clarity, Hindi is a major language in India and movies are considered Hindi films if Hindi is the predominant language used throughout the film. Bollywood is the in, the film industry based in Mumbai, formerly known as Bombay. 
Bollywood films are known for their spectacular song and dance routines, choreographed fight scenes, and the larger-than-life heroes. Bollywood films have been described as fairy tale cinema. So Rabia meets Ali. She becomes pregnant when she's about 25. From the best I could tell, Ali did not remain in their lives for very long. In late 1989, Rabia and Nafisa moved to London, uh, where Rabia later had daughters Karishma in 1990 and Kavita in 1992. It was said that Nafisa loved being a big sister to the point where she treated her sisters as though they were her own babies. The sister grew up the sisters grew up very protective of one another and at some point Rabia got married to a man named Tom. Not going to lie, I know Tom's last name, couldn't for the life of me get through it. So sorry Tom. So for the for not embarrassing myself I will just call you Tom, sir. I hope that's okay. I also kind of hope you're not listening because that puts a lot of pressure on me. Yeah. Anyhow, since Rabia's family was originally from Mumbai, her daughters grew up watching Bollywood movies. In her teens, Nafisa told her mother she wanted to become an actress. Rabia said that she was supportive of her daughter's decision, so she helped Nafisa rehearse monologues for hours. She filmed it. She gave advice, all of that. Nafisa would also perform dance numbers for her mother's friends at dinner parties. Nafisa got her first role at the age of 16, an uncredited part in the 1998 Hindi romantic thriller Dilsi. Nafisa was said to be a natural in front of the camera. Around this time, Nafisa changed her name to Gia after the 1998 Angelina Jolie movie of the same name, although it was spelt differently. From then on, Nafisa started professionally going by the name Gia, so to avoid any confusion, I will refer to her as Gia from here on out. In 2007, Gia landed her first big role as a character conveniently named Gia in the movie Nishab, which was an adaptation of Lolita, a novel written by Vladimir Nabokov in 1955. In the original novel, a middle-aged man kidnaps and sexually assaults his 12-year-old stepdaughter. Can't believe that was a hit. Stanley Kubrick, Kubrick, either way, uh, made it into a movie in 1962 where the girl's age was changed to 14. And another American movie version was released in 1997 starring Jeremy Irons and Dominique Swain. And just to give you an idea as to the Nishab version The movie's tagline is, and I quote, He is 60. She is 18. Yeah. What a, how to, how to get Christy not to come see your movie in two sentences. (laughs) (laughs) Great point. That's what it is. Uh, The movie thrust Gia into the Bollywood spotlight and she was soon cast into the 2008 thriller Gajini in which Gia played a medical student. Gia started appearing on magazine covers such as Savvy, Cosmo, and Stardust. I think she was also on Maxim at one point. Uh, Then Gia got a role in the comedy Houseful, the most commercial movie she had ever done. It was released in 2010 and has since spawned three sequels. When filming ended in 2009, Gia went back to London, where she stayed until returning to India in 2011. In late 2012, Gia, who was 24 at the time, met 22-year-old Suraj 
Panjoli, the son of two well-known Bollywood actors who was trying to break into the business himself. Siraj sent Gia a Facebook friend request, which she accepted, and the pair soon met in person and almost immediately started dating. At first, the pair was inseparable, even spending Christmas together in 2012. However, while at a club over Christmas, Siraj started flirting with other women, and Gia somehow ended up with a bruise on her leg. When her mother asked where the bruise came from, Gia said, quote, It must have happened during my fight with Siraj. According, oh, yeah, according to Rabia, Gia told her uh, she was going to end the relationship with Siraj, but that he had fallen at her feet and begged for her forgiveness. So Gia took him back. Mm. A text from Siraj to Gia on that night of the fight said, quote, never do it again. I will never put you down again. I'm sorry. Sorry with four R's followed by a frowny emoji. Yeah. The next day, Gia texted one of her sisters, quote, he just realized how much he loves me when he thought he was going to lose me. Siraj denies that anything physical happened, saying, quote, I can get upset. I'm human, but I can never raise my hand on someone I love. A few months into the relationship, Siraj got a role in the Bollywood action movie Hero. The role earned Siraj the Best Newcomer Award for from Filmfare in 2016. Siraj claims that Gia was insecure and nervous that the role would cause him to leave her. In January 2013, Gia became pregnant, and the couple decided not to keep the baby. Gia told her sister that Siraj didn't want it. Siraj later said, quote, I never said have it or don't have it. Which is already painting a nice picture of somebody maybe having a bit of a tone. Yeah. Uh, Things between the couple quickly unraveled, and the last time they saw each other on June 2nd, 2013, Siraj says they met at a restaurant at the JW Marriott Hotel and mutually agreed to end their relationship. He also claimed they agreed not to talk anymore, only when absolutely necessary. The following day, Gia spent the day shopping with her mother, buying jewelry for her sister Kavita's upcoming birthday, Kavita was, fly- Kavita was flying in the next day, and Gia had offered to pick her up at the airport. At 9.15 p.m., Gia and her mother were seen on security cameras, leaving the Sagar Sanjeet apartments where Gia lives. Gia went across the street to see her friend Faison. Rabia took a rickshaw to go visit her friend Anju Mahendru, who was at home with her mother. They later were joined by friends Moin Beg, who is known as Manu, and Aditya Panjoli, who is Siraj's father. Rabia, Anju, and Aditya were all actors, and Manu was a journalist, so they had kind of all known each other and been in the same orbit for several years. Rabia arrived at Gia's apartment at 11.22 p.m. When she opened the door, she noted that all the lights were on, which had been turned off before they left, so Rabia assumed that meant that Gia was home. Rabia called out for her daughter, but got no response. She noticed all the inside doors were shut, which was unusual. Rabia checked Gia's bedroom. Gia wasn't there. So she went into the bathroom, which had a door to three different rooms on either side. 
Uh, She entered another room and found her daughter hanging from the ceiling fan. Rabia panicked and called Anju, screaming for her to come to the apartment. Anju arrived 11 minutes later with Manu, who tried to untie the scarf, which had been knotted two or three times, near Gia's neck. They laid Gia on the bed, and Manu used a water bottle nearby to splash water on Gia's face, as he said her body still felt warm. Rabia performed CPR, and Manu went to fetch a doctor. The doctor arrived at 11.43 p.m., and Gia was pronounced dead. Gia Khan was just 25 years old. She was described as loving, kind, free-spirited, and sweet. Her mother said that Gia was the light of their house. So we are going to back things up slightly and go through every instance that we know that Gia was seen on her apartment building's security camera. At 8.07 p.m., Gia is seen wandering around the apartment hallways talking on the phone, presumably to Siraj. Gia and Rabia were then seen leaving the apartment at 9.15 p.m. At some unknown point, Gia returned to the apartment. At 9.30 p.m., Siraj's assistant, Devraj Shouri, better known as Diva, arrived on a bike at Gia's apartment to deliver a bouquet of flowers. Siraj later said Gia had called him to say she got a movie, and he had hung up on her. He felt bad about how he had reacted, so he asked Diva to deliver a bouquet. Diva said he gave the flowers to Gia, adding, Siraj sent this, and then he left. Cameras showed Diva on his bike, leaving the area at 9.31 p.m. Gia called Siraj, who later said Gia was crying, and he just couldn't take it in the moment, so he hung up on her and deleted her off BlackBerry Messenger. This is after the flowers were delivered? Yep. Oh, my God. Yep. Keeping in mind, they broke up apparently like 24 hours before and said, we don't need to call each other. Oh, But yes. then they've, I mean, this, this relationship. No, I, we're seeing, yeah. we're seeing, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, So Gia was seen on camera carrying that bouquet at 9.53 p.m. She gave them, she gave it to the watchman who was outside her building and asked him to throw the flowers out. She returned to the apartment at 9.57. At 10.34, Gia left her apartment again and walked towards Siraj's apartment nearby. Diva said that when Gia arrived, Siraj refused to see her and that he called her to ask her not to come up. Gia was seen on camera arriving back at the apartment at 10.48 p.m. Gia's last call came in at 10.53, and it was, shockingly, Siraj. Rabia arrived home and found Gia's body at 11.22. Anju and Manu arrived at 11.33, but they weren't alone. Since the friends had all been together when Anju received Rabia's frantic call, both Manu and Siraj's father went to the apartment together. So Aditya arrived at the apartment at 11.33. However, he never went upstairs to Gia's first floor apartment. He remained on the main floor. At 11.36, Aditya called his son to ask his whereabouts. Siraj said he was at home. So Aditya told him, stay there, don't answer the phone, I'm on my way. The doctor arrived at 11.43 and Gia was officially pronounced dead. Within two hours of her death, 
the Mumbai police declared the case a suicide. Her cause of death was found to be asphyxia due to hanging. When news of Gia's death got out, the street outside her apartment filled with people. Siraj even joined the crowd and was there to witness when Gia's body was brought out of the apartment. Siraj contacted Gia's family to ask if he could attend Gia's funeral on June 5th. Her family said no. So Siraj went anyway. Oh, God. First of all, didn't call for any condolence. Just called to say, hey, I know we weren't together anymore. Don't want to make it a spectacle. Is it okay if I come? They said, we'd really rather you didn't. And he went, I'm going to do it anyway. I just, okay. Okay. Uh, Just why bother calling if you're going to go no matter what they said? Uh, But of course, Gia's family would say no. Not only had Gia and Siraj broken up, but Gia's family also believed that Siraj was somehow involved in Gia's death. Why, you ask? Well, a few days after the funeral, while going through Gia's stuff, one of her sisters found a wallet box in a drawer. Inside the box was a designer wallet, which contained a handwritten letter. The letter wasn't dated, and it wasn't addressed to anyone, but it seemed to be a letter written by Gia to Siraj. Police had a handwriting expert look over the letter, and based on the samples that they had from other letters, they determined the letter was in fact written by Gia Khan. It was six pages long, and it read almost like a suicide note. I obviously do not have the time on here to read the entire thing on this episode, but I want to share a few parts so you can kind of get the idea. Uh, It starts, quote, I don't know how to say this to you, but I might as well now as I have nothing to lose. I've already lost everything. If you're reading this, I might have already left or I'm about to leave. I am broken inside. You may not have known this, but you affected me deeply to the point where I lost myself in loving you. Uh, Another quote, I feel dead inside. I've never given so much of myself to someone or cared so much. You returned my love with cheating and lies. Uh, Another, the pain you have caused me every day has destroyed me, every bit of me, destroyed my soul. I can't eat or sleep or think or function. I'm running away from everything. The career is not even worth it anymore. Um. Also, quote, I am kissing my 10-year career and dreams goodbye. I never told you, but I received a message about you, about you cheating on me. I chose to ignore it, decided to trust you. You embarrassed me. So at this point, it almost sounds like she's just simply saying goodbye to a bad boyfriend. It could easily be Gia's way of saying she's moving back to London. However, it does take a turn. Um, There are quotes like, You tore my soul. I have no reason to breathe anymore. Or, uh, these days I see no light. I wake up not wanting to wake up. Uh, And lastly, quote, I have nothing left in this world to live for after this. I wish you had loved me like I loved you. I dreamt of our future. I dreamt of our success. I leave this place with nothing but broken dreams and empty promises. All I want now is to go to sleep and never wake up again. I am nothing. I had everything. I felt so alone even while with you. You made me feel alone and vulnerable. I am so much more than this. 
So I have to admit, while it could be a letter ending a toxic relationship and moving away, it could also be an actual suicide note. However, I think it's fair to say, typically, suicide notes are left out, easy to find, as opposed to tucked away in a wallet, in a box, in a drawer, in another place. It wasn't even, it wasn't in the same room she was found. Like it's, I have a lot of questions about it. So it's possible the letter was written in a moment of weakness, and maybe Gia changed her mind. The letter was seized by police on June 10th, but for whatever reason, Gia's mother leaked it to the press. I assume it was to try and show the world that Siraj might not be the good guy the world thinks he is, because in it, Gia mentions Siraj's alleged cheating, as well as physical and mental abuse that he had caused her. We will get into that more later. But assuming that the letter was in fact written by Gia and that it was intended to be a suicide note, were there any signs prior to this that Gia was struggling mentally? Well, according to Siraj, Gia suffered from depression. Siraj claims that in 2012, while he was at the Hard Rock with some friends, he received a call from Gia that she had cut her hand. Siraj sent Diva to go check on her. Uh, and Diva said that Gia answered the door crying, holding a piece of glass. When Siraj was told the wound was deep, he rushed to the house and sent, her, sent for a doctor who later said the wound had been self-inflicted. Gia's mother said she had not heard of this injury, and she refused to believe that it ever actually happened. Siraj also claims that he had seen small scars on Gia's wrist, and that Gia once confessed that she had tried to take her own life when she was a teenager. When Gia was just 14 years old, she was sexually assaulted by 28-year-old Baron Bloom, the son of a wealthy business mogul. Gia said she met Bloom at a Starbucks in February 2001 when Gia was 13 years old. Gia said Bloom approached her as she was sitting with her nine-year-old sister Kavita, and he said to her, quote, Is that your daughter? Come Stop. on. You know, trying to make her feel older than what she yep. is. The pair exchanged numbers and spent months texting and calling each other. A few days after Gia's 14th birthday, Bloom convinced her to come out with him. He drove her to Dorchester in his Lamborghini, then took her to a private club. Gia said uh, she just wanted a cranberry juice, but soon after having it, she started to feel really sick and asked him to take her home. Bloom, of course, took Gia to his home instead and started to take advantage of her. Gia told him she was 14 and Bloom responded very disgustingly, quote, Oh, you're a baby. <sighs> I know. Bloom, of Gross. course, claimed Gia told him she was 18. Right. Gia said in court, quote, He said I should trust him and he would not do anything to hurt me because he really liked me. Months later, Bloom took Gia out with her friend, who was 15 at the time. He then gave Gia so much champagne that she collapsed and had to be taken to the hospital. Bloom then set his sights on Gia's friend. Bloom was charged with four counts of indecent assault, two against Gia and two against her friend. During the trial over the charges in Gia's case, Bloom's lawyers entered letters into evidence written by Gia to Bloom, showing that she was in love with him. 
His lawyers used that to prove, well, if she's in love with him, that must mean the sex was consensual. Ugh. The jury couldn't reach a verdict, so there was a retrial, which ended in Bloom being found not guilty. Gross. In the trial involving Gia's friend in December 2002, Bloom was found guilty, and the judge ordered that Bloom be placed on the sex offender's register for 10 years. He was sentenced to one year in prison. However, Bloom appealed and was released after three months. <sighs> Siraj said that Gia harbored a deep depression stemming from this incident. Her mother, Rabia, said they talked about it, but that Gia had moved on. Is it possible that Gia was more open about her feelings to Siraj than her own mother? Of course. Not everyone has an open or close relationship with their parents. But this case is a series of he said, she said. Siraj says one thing about Gia. Her family says another. Rabia claims she was very supportive of Gia's career. Siraj claims Rabia was demanding and she put way too much pressure on her daughter to succeed. Siraj said Gia didn't like having her mother around and that Rabia was hard on her, saying Gia didn't stand out in Bollywood. Rabia, of course, denies that. And while I'm not suggesting how Rabia may or may not have treated her daughter, I will just point out, for the sake of being neutral, Rabia's film roles occurred between 1982 and 1988, when she got pregnant with Gia. Is it possible Rabia's career came to an end when she became a mother, and so she pushed her daughter to have the career that she secretly longed for? It's possible. It's also possible that Rabia was a loving, supportive parent and that Siraj was just trying to blame, take the blame of Gia's death away from himself. Siraj claimed that in May 2013, just weeks before Gia's death, that Gia showed up at his apartment early in the morning, saying she had to escape her mother. Siraj claims that Gia had small cuts on her hand and that she had threatened to take her own life. An hour later, Siraj contacted Rabia to ask her to get her daughter help. Rabia said she never spoke to Gia about it because she didn't want to embarrass her. Siraj also claimed that Gia was depressed and stressed about the fact that she hadn't booked any roles lately. But according to Anju, when Rabia was at her apartment, she received a call from Gia saying that she'd been offered a role. The problem was those involved with the film wanted Gia to gain weight, and Gia was concerned she wouldn't be able to gain enough in the week before shooting was set to begin. Also, Siraj, how can you say she was upset she had no work when you also claimed you sent her flowers as a congrats on getting a role? Great point. You know? Uh, yep. But of all people close to Gia, Siraj seemed to be the only one who felt that Gia was troubled in any way. Siraj said, quote, People told me I was with the wrong girl, but it was too late. I loved her. Rabia refused to believe that her daughter had taken her own life, saying that Gia had been absolutely fine all day leading up to her death. And since no one knows what is truly going on in someone else's mind, we just have to look at the pieces that we do know for sure. But in this case, there are a few things that make me question whether Gia's death was really a suicide. During the autopsy, the medical examiner noted a bruise on the inside of Gia's left arm. We, of course, don't know where it came from, but it almost looks like the thumbprint of somebody who tried to, like, grab her arm really hard. 
There was also an oval-shaped mark on Gia's jaw that couldn't be identified. Had she been hit in some way? Is it possible that Gia was dead before she was hung from the ceiling? In all the security camera footage from that evening, Gia is seen wearing a light blue tracksuit. But when her body was found, Gia was wearing pajamas. And knowing that her death occurred sometime between 10.53 and 11.22, it would mean that Gia went home, changed into pajamas, and then immediately took her own life. And I know I am not an expert, but if someone is so despondent that they're having suicidal thoughts and they're just going to... Who's going to stop and change before going on with it? Well, she also was in a tracksuit, which is similar to pajamas, right? So that's... Yeah. Yeah, it was an odd choice. Yeah. Um, But speaking of that tracksuit, it was missing from the scene and to this day has never been found. Okay, here we go. Yep. Here we go. If Gia was the only one in that apartment... What happened to that tracksuit? According to her family, they commented about it to police, and the police told them, well, then you must have hidden it. Oh, wow. Okay. Also, Gia was about five foot three. So there have been questions about whether she could have physically reached to tie the scarf around the fan. Police did no incident recreation, so we still don't know if it was physically possible for her to do. Police also didn't test the scarf for any sort of DNA. They didn't seem to be bothered by the fact that the fan had no fingerprints on it whatsoever. Which is funny because you think it would even have fingerprints from when it was installed. Yeah. Or something, but no fingerprints whatsoever. Gia's sister, Kavita, was asked to go to the police station to unlock Gia's phone, as they assumed she would know the password. But when Kavita got there, she said Gia's phone wasn't locked at all, and when they went through it, Gia's photos and messages had all been deleted. Wow. Kavita arrived around midnight that night, and Gia was supposed to pick her up at the airport. Kavita believed that Gia was excited to see her, But I know that having something to look forward to does not necessarily mean it would prevent a suicide. But what if Gia's death wasn't a suicide? What if the scene was simply staged to look that way? Who would want Gia dead? Well, I have three potential suspects, and I'll tell you more about them after this break. Well, listen, I got to see what this dog is barking at. I'm like, is there someone in the backyard? That's terrifying. Uh, So while I do that, grab a drink, hit the can, and we'll be back to talk about the suspects in the potential, the potential suspects in the Gia Khan case on this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. 
Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're, of course, discussing the mysterious death of Gia Khan. Uh, Good news. Wasn't anyone in my backyard. Thank uh, God. Don't know what she was barking at. Um, only thing I can think is I do have sprinklers that are on a timer. And maybe they started. She has she amazing hearing. She, her hearing is wild. It's, yeah. You are used to senior pets. I am. <laughs> I am. Yeah. But she's snuggled up and sleeping on the couch. So fingers hey, crossed. That's nice. Yes. I like that for both of you. Yeah. So, assuming that this is where I am, it is. Great. Now, the police in Gia's case were very quick to make assumptions. When they entered that scene, they decided immediately it was a suicide and they didn't approach it like a crime scene. To quote investigator Paul Garlick, quote, this was badly investigated and serious mistakes have been made. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, when Gia's body was found, police didn't secure the scene. They Great. didn't secure any potential entrances or exits to the building. They didn't do an event reconstruction to see if it was even possible for someone of Gia's height to be able to reach the fan. The ligature on the scarf was never tested for DNA. Shortly after they took on the case, the police asked Gia's sister, Kavita, to go to the station to help them unlock the phone when she got there, it wasn't locked, and all of Gia's messages and photos had been erased. And when the phone was first seized by police, there were no fingerprints on it. That's weird. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't Gia's prints have been on her phone? We know she last spoke on the phone with Siraj at 10.53 p.m., why would she completely wipe down all her prints before taking her own life? Why would that be a thing? Is it possible someone broke into her apartment, killed Gia, made it look like a suicide, and then cleared the photos and messages off her phone before leaving the scene? It's possible, but I have the question of why would you do that? Well, exactly. What yeah. was incriminating that you were like, I don't have time, I have to clear it all? Yeah. Uh, the final police report stated, quote, the possibility of homicidal compression of the neck in the act of strangulation can be ruled out. In conclusion, the autopsy examination and findings of the body of deceased concludes the death as suicidal in nature. Mm. Which I I don't agree with. But, you yeah. know, again, where are the fingerprints? <laughs> Yeah. That's weird. But if we aren't ones for us, we aren't ones for assuming we're going to look at this from another angle. And that is, what if it wasn't suicide? Well, then that would mean it was murder. Right. Who would the potential suspects be? Well, since we've brought him up so many times already, we may as well start with the recent ex-boyfriend, Siraj Panjoli. On June 10th, 2013, 
police arrested Siraj in connection with Gia's death. Siraj claimed he was at his apartment with some friends on the night of Gia's death, but the police didn't bother to question the watchman outside his apartment to verify it. Police said Siraj's phone pinged a tower near his home, which they claimed proves he was at home on the night of June 3rd. However, Siraj and Gia lived about 200 meters or 0.1 miles apart, so the same cell tower covers both apartments. But the specific charge that Siraj was arrested with was abetment of suicide, basically meaning pushing someone to do something they wouldn't normally do. Oh, boy. The maximum punishment for that charge in India is 10 years. So what exactly did Siraj do? Well, he sent some incriminating text messages to Gia just minutes before she died. Now, unfortunately, since Gia's phone messages were wiped, we don't know what others she may have received or what she may have responded with. But we do know what messages Siraj sent to Gia. Keep in mind, Gia's time of death was estimated to be between 10.53 and 11.22. That is less than 30 minutes. And Gia, her last known phone call was Siraj at 10.53. Also remember that according to Siraj, he and Gina had mutually agreed to break up the day before. After the phone call, Siraj sent Gia 10 text messages between 10.56 and 11.21. To give you the feel of the energy of his messages, I will read them with the time they were sent. And just to clarify, at one point during the texts, Siraj mentions a woman named Nilu, who is a middle-aged jeweler. Siraj had planned to buy some pieces from Nilu, allegedly Gia asks Siraj to come over to her apartment. He told her he can't because he's meeting Nilu at 10. So around 10 p.m., Gia, who also knows Nilu, calls her and is like, hey, is Siraj with you? And Nilu says, no, Siraj is meeting me tomorrow morning. So Gia assumes that Siraj lied about seeing Nilu to hide the fact that he was going to see another woman. Right. Siraj later claimed he forgot to add AM to his text, and it was just miscommunication that Gia thought he meant PM. But to that I say, Gia asks you to come over. You say, I can't. I'm meeting someone at 10. That to me means you intentionally misled her to thinking you had a 10 PM meeting. Yeah, if it was about the morning, you'd say, I have an early morning. And by the way, 10 a.m. is not an early morning, so. Correct. Especially when they live so close together. Yeah. They'd be so quick to be able to go home. But still, I've also read, but I couldn't confirm, that early in the investigation, Siraj claimed he believed he was supposed to meet Nilu at 10. He was having dinner at the hotel with a friend, uh, Claimed he was waiting for Nilu. Then Gia called Nilu looking for Siraj. His phone was turned off at the time. Gia then called Siraj and accused him of lying. Siraj claims he called Nilu, realized the meeting was the wrong time. Later on, though, he told the, pe- the police he knew he was supposed to meet her the next day. 
So he's not being very consistent in no. his story. But when Gia thought Siraj was out with another woman, she sent him an angry text. I don't know what it was, but she was really angry. He responded by calling her. She refused to answer. So these are the, some of the messages that Siraj sent to Gia in that span. 10.56 p.m., call if you want to talk. 10.56 p.m., leave. Clarity on that, as you may recall, Gia was seen leaving her apartment at 10.34, heading towards Siraj's apartment. When she got there, she was turned away and his friends wouldn't let her see him. Gia was seen returning to her apartment at 10.48, so it's possible that his 10.56 leave was about her showing up at his apartment. But I love that in the, within a minute, it was call if you want to talk, get the hell out of here. I like that that, like... But we know that she was already back home at that point, right? Yes. So it's weird that he would send it then. I don't know. It's also possible there was somebody in her apartment or she was scared. And so he was saying, leave, like, leave your apartment. That's a great point because we don't know what her messages said. Right. We don't know if she responded. But one minute later, at 10.57 p.m., Siraj says, you just made my life a prison. Really just wanted to eat food with my friend, meet Nilu, and give her your new order. You fucking creep, you spy on me. Shady fucking person. How will we ever work if you do this shit? I always trust you blindly. Please leave me alone. 10.57 p.m. Within a minute. You fucked it up for you. 10.58 p.m. I am very unhappy. Then he leaves her alone for a bit. 11.03 p.m. You think I'm fucking jealous of your success? Ha ha. Fucking ungrateful person. Also at 11.03, talk to Nilu and find out for yourself what happened. I wanted to surprise you on Thursday. Thanks for fucking it up. When you find out the truth, talk to me before. Don't even think about it. How could you spy on me with Nilu? This is fucked up. Five minutes later at 11.08, call ASAP. It's urgent. 11.21 p.m. Call me now. 11.21 p.m. I want to talk to you ASAP. Now, a lot of things stand out to me here. Yeah. Especially the speed with which the messages were spent, were sent, rather. He completely flies off the handle, tells Gia she screwed up, even though it was through his own error by telling her the wrong time. But also, he wanted to surprise her with jewelry? Why? They broke up. Why were you buying her a gift? Oh, it's so toxic. And Gia wasn't spying. She was trying to get a hold of you because you had your phone turned off. So she tried calling you. Phone was turned off. She tried calling the person you said you were with. And they were like, hey, he's not here. I don't see that as spying. Maybe no. that's me. Um, Where was I? Oh, Lord. There we go. And then when he thinks she's spying, he was angry. So he deleted her from BlackBerry Messenger. So then 
he she's they're not on messenger his phone is turned off she calls nilu looking for siraj he's not there i think siraj overreacted maybe there's more to the story than i realize but to scream and swear at her one minute and then demand that she call the next it's a massive mood swing over that half hour and police believed the messages are what drove gia to take her own life and they can't access the messages to see what she wrote, like, through the phone company? My question is, so you wipe the messages from her phone, wouldn't they still be in his? Yeah. Why wouldn't he give the his phone? Because also, if you can somehow access what was sent to her, you can't access what she sent? So where'd you get the messages he sent her? Unless it's something about BlackBerry Messenger where it's like... If she deletes them, sure. they deleted from both. I don't remember. I haven't had a BlackBerry in a long time. Yeah. Um, that's bizarre. But again, yeah. even then, I was like, I I mean, you look, we watch a lot of Dateline. Um, <laughs> yeah. They're always compelling phone records from phone companies that, like, it doesn't matter if it's not on your physical phone. It's still yeah. up in the cloud with the technology that makes my head hurt. Like, Yeah. Because I don't fully get it. But you know what I mean? Oh, like, I never There's a it. digital copy of it, isn't there? Like, I think so. That's bizarre. Okay. Unless it was something where BlackBerry, I know that, that BlackBerry, there was something about like how they encrypted their messages. Maybe, the, it, sure. maybe that's why. I don't know. But that's bizarre. Uh, but the fact that police are saying, well, those messages he sent her are obviously what sent her over the edge, is like a case I have mentioned briefly before where Michelle Carter was charged with involuntary manslaughter after she sent texts to Conrad Roy in 2014, encouraging him to take his own life. Michelle was found guilty and served 11 months in jail. That's right. So Siraj was arrested June 10th. Police said they found no evidence linking Siraj to Gia's death. And Siraj was let out on bail on July 3rd for 50,000 rupees, which in 2023 is closer to 83,000 rupees, which is equivalent to about 1,000 U.S. dollars. Siraj's lawyer said Siraj had been framed. Mm -hmm. Similar case that I want to mention, and there was no better place to stick it in my notes. Side note. I love it. Vivica Babaji was an actress and model. She won the Miss Mauritius World Title in 1993 and Miss Mauritius Universe in 1994. And for those who may not be aware, because I was not prior to this, Mauritius is a country in East Africa. That was one I, I had to spend some time Googling the pronunciation of. I'll say it. Uh, the population as of 2021 is about 1.3 million. So, sizable. Yeah. Uh, on June 25th, 2010, Vivica was found hanging from a ceiling fan in her apartment in Bandra, a suburb in Mumbai. She was 37 years old. Police found Vivica's diary next to her body, and the last entry read, quote, You killed me, Gotham Vora. Vora, a stockbroker who had recently broken up with Vivica, was arrested for abetment of suicide, although he did no jail time for it. In 2012, Vora was arrested for harboring a fugitive 
named V.J. Palland, who was accused of murdering two people, Karen Kaked and Aaron Tiku. Palland admitted he planned to kill Aaron's son, Anju, to take the family's land. God. He was just caught before he got that far. Palland was arrested in April 2012, but escaped police custody. Vora allegedly booked Palland a hotel room, gave him fresh clothes and a plane ticket to Bangkok. Palland was soon caught and his trial somehow dragged on over the last decade. It's still not over. Wow. And this, this is from 2012. Uh, the real kicker for me is that Palland outright admitted after he killed the father, he was going to kill the son, and then he was going to kill Vora. <laughs> Helped him out. But that's the problem with killers these days. There's no loyalty. (laughs) Uh, Again, similar case, uh, just for the sake of a ceiling fan in abetment and whatever. But and in the same country, I was, uh, you know, I like to cram in as much true crime as possible. So anyhow, we're going to go back to Gia. Yes. Uh, Gia's case was eventually transferred to the Central Bureau of Investigation, or CBI, if you will, on July 3rd, 2014. They concluded, quote, it may be inferred that Siraj Panjoli is hiding some relevant information <coughs> related to the death slash suicide of Gia Khan and did not want to disclose some content of an argument with the deceased that may have caused her death. Siraj filed a written complaint with the CBI, asking them to look into Gia's traumatic childhood and her depression to prove she had suicidal tendencies and he was not to blame. However, there is still the matter of Gia's letter, the one that her sister found days after Gia's death. I mentioned a few quotes of it earlier, but I wanted to mention a few more now that we're looking at Siraj (coughs) as a uh, potential suspect. Yes. Uh, One of the quotes, you may not have known this, but you affected me deeply to a point where I lost myself in loving me, loving you, yet you tortured me every day. Tortured, almost like telling her we're never going to speak and then calling her and demanding that she call you the very next day. Yeah. Maybe something like that. Uh, Another quote. I didn't see any love or commitment from you. I just became increasingly scared that you would hurt me mentally or physically. Quote, I never told you, but I received a message about you cheating on me. I chose to ignore it. You embarrassed me. Uh, Quote, things were looking up for me here, but is it worth it when you constantly feel the pain of heartbreak when the person you love wants to abuse you or threatens to hit you or cheats on you, telling other girls they're beautiful, or throws you out of their house when they when you have nowhere to go. I don't recall him ever admitting that he threw her out. Yeah. Uh, another quote, I always wished the best for you, was ready to invest what little money I had in your betterment. You never appreciated my love, kicked me in the face. I have no confidence or self-esteem left. Whatever talent, whatever ambition, you took it away. You destroyed my life. Kicked wow. me in the face is an interesting. I wish that letter was dated. Yeah. Uh, so was this Gia's way of saying that Siraj got physical with her? 
You may recall earlier I mentioned when they first started dating, Gia had bruises on her legs. And when asked, she said it happened during my fight with Siraj. And that same day of the fight, he texted her, I will never put you down again. I'm sorry. Did he mean put her down physically? Or was he talking about something he'd said verbally? Uh, it should be noted that there is no evidence that Siraj was physically abusive with Gia, and there is no evidence that places him at the scene of the crime on the night of her death. To this day, Siraj claims his innocence. He said he wasted his 20s in court, and it still hasn't stopped, because as of now, February... Is it February as of this record? I believe it's going to be January when this episode comes out. I think out. it's January 31st. There it is. So close. You'd think she'd know her own show. Doesn't. Nah. Well, at least one of us does. Uh, as of January 2023, Siraj is still on bail for abetment of suicide. Wow. They still haven't uh, worked that out yet. Now, while I'm talking potential suspects which is just a list that I've called the shady men in Gia's life. <laughs> I have to mention Siraj's father, Aditya Panjoli. Now, right out the gate, I want to say I don't think Aditya physically murdered Gia. Is it possible he hired someone? Sure. But I don't think he did it physically because he was with Anju, Manu, and Gia's mother, Rabia, at the time of Gia's death. But what do we know about Aditya? Well, he was born January 4th, 1965. His father was a Bollywood film director. Aditya became a, an actor in his late teens, getting his start in TV before landing his first movie role in Shahadat in 1985. In 1986, he met 27-year-old actress Zarina Wahab on set. Aditya was 21 at the time. The two clicked instantly, and about 15 to 20 days later, they got married. Wow. They had a, a daughter, Sana, in 1989, and their son, Siraj, in November 1990. Siraj said that Aditya was, quote, the best father, but he's not a good husband. Oh, boy. And he wasn't kidding about his father being a terrible husband because Aditya was allegedly caught having an affair twice. When asked about it, Aditya said, quote, am I a terrorist? Have I killed anybody? Who hasn't had girlfriends? It's human nature. If that's a crime, I'm really sorry. Oh, God. In 1993, Aditya allegedly had an affair with actress Pooja Betty, who was only about five years younger than him. I point out the age because the affair Aditya allegedly had in 2004 with actress Kangana Renault happened when Aditya was 39 and Kangana was 17. Ugh. She later said, Kangana, as it is, said, quote, We were as good as husband and wife. I was actually building a house for both of us on Yari Road. We lived together for three years. But the relationship took a turn, and she later described it as, quote, my mentor turned tormentor. Oh, boy. And while I initially thought the relationship would have been sexual assault, as Kangana was only 17 at the time, in 2007, the age of consent in India was just 16. 
the age rage the age bumped up to 18 in 2013 though uh but it's still gross to me a 39 year old man thought he should go near a 17 year old girl yeah and that's not even including how gross it was that he was married at the time so this man is just gross all around yeah and even though he didn't deserve it his wife stayed at his side also weird connection aditya's daughter santa wanted to become an actress she was cast in a large role for her debut film Shaka Laka Boom Boom in 2007. However, for some reason, Sana was dropped from the movie and replaced with Kangana Renault. After that, Sana left the movie business altogether. And Whoa. So then I'm like, did did you help? Did you have them cut your daughter out so your girlfriend could go in? Oh boy. Because he had a lot of pull. In the industry had he still does anyhow kangana filed charges against aditya in 2019 saying that he had physically and sexually assaulted her from 2004 until 2009 at times aditya allegedly confined kangana to his house whenever she threatened to go to the police kangana also alleges that aditya physically assaulted her sister the charges towards him include rape assault, extortion, and causing hurt by means of poison. I wish I had more on that. I don't, but I also love that that's a very specific charge. Kangana claims that when she first moved to Mumbai in 2004, she met Aditya at a party. She believes he slipped something in her drink as soon as she passed out. Kangana was unconscious Aditya allegedly took nude photos of her, and when they ran into each other next, he said, quote, um, he wants to share a relationship like the one between a husband and a wife, and we will live that way. Kangana, who was much younger than him, said, yeah, no thanks. Aditya showed her the photos he had taken of her and threatened to release them publicly and destroy her career before it even started. Since Kangana was trying to make a name for herself in the industry, she went along with the relationship. Kangana also claimed that once she became famous in her own right, Aditya physically assaulted her sister and tried to extort money from her by sending threatening messages to her siblings and repeatedly suggesting he would publicly release her photos. Kangana said, quote, it was a very difficult and very harsh time. I was physically abused. I don't have to go into details. I felt trapped. You feel people might help you, but there are no free lunches uh, when you're going to fall for it. This man, who was my father's age, hit me hard on the head when I was 17. I started bleeding, so I took my sandal off, hit him in the head hard, so he started bleeding too. I mean, hey, I like that she hit back. But I hate that she was there altogether. Yeah. Aditya says, quote, I read her sent messages to another actor while she was asleep. Her messages were certainly not innocent. Okay. Quote, I remembered the words she used for this actor, who were also used by her when she called me from South Africa. That was the first time I hit her. But we fought and then we made up. It's how 
lightly, he just goes, oh, yeah, that was probably the first time I hit her. Yeah. That just so cavalier. Well, it explains also that his son may ha- have a similar relationship with oh, abuse. Oh, that's and a great call. Women, yeah. Kangana also claims Aditya's wife knew all about it and that Zarina told her she was happier when Aditya was not home and that was the only way for there to be peace at their house is if he wasn't there. Wow. She also claimed Zarina said Aditya was very famous and he wouldn't like it if someone were to defame him. And this wasn't the end of Aditya's violence. The dude just continues to be a violent piece of trash. In 1995, he made calls to an actor threatening uh, threatening the actor to not take a movie role he was offered simply because Aditya wanted that role for himself. In 2011, Aditya allegedly fought with the co-pilot and crew of an airline after an announcement was made it was delayed due to bad weather. In 2013, Aditya attacked his neighbor after being annoyed with noise that came from his neighbor's renovations. Aditya was seen on security cameras dragging the man from his own home and assaulting him. Months later, Aditya attacked another neighbor when their house guest parked in a spot that Aditya didn't like. He grabbed the neighbor, pulled him out of his house, hit him in the face, breaking the neighbor's nose. Wow. Aditya was charged with grievous hurt and criminal intimidation. In November 2016, Aditya was convicted of assault and sentenced to one year imprisonment. In March 2015, after drunkenly arguing with a DJ about the music that was being played at a pub, Aditya hit a security guard in the head with a cell phone and was charged with criminal intimidation, public nuisance, breach of peace, and assault. In March 2017, Aditya argued with a mechanic about his car repair bill. Aditya verbally abused the mechanic over the phone and threatened him. In February 2022, he was accused of threatening and physically assaulting a film producer named Sam Fernandez. Sam wanted to make a movie with Aditya's son Siraj, but he was struggling to find financial backers. Aditya put in money, as did Sam, but it wasn't enough to get the movie made. When Sam told Aditya that the movie wasn't going to happen, he asked Sam to meet with him at a hotel. Aditya allegedly threatened and verbally abused Sam, saying, quote, you have to make a movie with my son, otherwise I will kill you. Oh my God. Again, I remind you that the whole court problems really put a damper in his son's career. And they were looking for his son to make a comeback, so I'm not surprised. Yeah. Uh, And the affair that Aditya had in the 90s with Pooja Betty? Well, Pooja is now saying that at the time, Aditya sexually assaulted Pooja's maid, who was only 15 at the time. Oh, my God. Aditya didn't deny having sex with the teenager. He rather denied it was just assault. Aditya claims that their sex was consensual. Still waiting to hear if he'll be charged on that, but I'm going to say, I don't care if she said yes or no. A man in his 30s has no right to touch a 15-year-old girl, period. If their age ends in teen, they are off limits. Yep. So, 
Aditya is a violent, vile man who is capable of almost anything. Is it possible he threatened Gia? We know that he had an alibi for the time when Gia was killed, but maybe he had someone do his dirty work for him. Allegedly, of course. Yep. And what would he have against Gia? Well, he was apparently very vocal about not liking his son dating Gia. He didn't approve of the relationship and said his son needed to focus on his career, not on a relationship. And Aditya clearly loved women, and Gia was outright stunning. Is it possible he was jealous that he couldn't have her for himself? Is it possible he made a pass at her and she didn't like it? More than possible? If nothing else, we have a real glimpse of where Siraj got his temper from. Yeah. So, another shady man in Gia's life was film director Saeed Khan. Saeed was born in November 1970 and was well-known in the Bollywood industry. He is best known for his Houseful series, the first of which was Gia's final film. Saeed stepped down from directing Houseful 4 after three women came forward accusing him of sexual harassment. An actor who worked on the film said, quote, The thing is, Saeed has always been a very, very outspoken person. He's always been this flamboyant person. What you see is what you get. A lot of people might misunderstand Saeed Khan. Saeed just says things for effect. He doesn't mean them. I've known Saeed since childhood. Of course, when these allegations came, it was a shock to to everyone. You know it was the season of Me Too, and everyone was getting exposed. So we really felt bad. We had no option. The producer had a lot of pressure to drop him from the film. But were the women really just misunderstanding Saeed? Well, months after he was dropped from the movie, six more women, mostly actresses and models, accused Saeed of sexual harassment and misconduct. They claim Saeed made lewd comments, watched porn in front of them, and flashed his genitals at parties. Gross. Gia's sister Karishma said during the rehearsal for Houseful, Saeed asked Gia to take her shirt off and do the read-through just in a bra. To quote Karishma, She didn't know what to do. She came home and cried. Saeed was also allegedly known for asking women to send him nude pictures when it came to casting. Gross. One journalist who interviewed Saeed in the early 2000s said he started the interview by talking about his genitals, and at the end, he prevented her from leaving and forced his tongue down her throat. Ugh. When he was going to see the same journalist years later, the woman told Saeed to behave properly. He responded, quote, You are fatter than you used to be. I won't touch you with a barge pole. But yeah, maybe the problem was Saeed was just misunderstood, she said sarcastically. Ugh. Yeah. Also, isn't that the thing? A man gets rejected and the first thing he says is, well, she's fat. She's ugly. She's crazy. Like, Mm -hmm. uh uh-huh. When Saeed Khan left Houseful 4, he was replaced by Farhad Samji. Prior to that, it was rumored that Saeed... Nadia Dwala, a producer of the film, would take over as director. And this Saeed is not without his own scandals, which leads me to a 
also named Saeed, but let's find out if he's also a scumbag. Side note. <laughs> so to spare any confusion between the Saeeds, even though it's more difficult for me, I'm just going to refer to the second Saeed by his last, ni- last name, Nadia Dwala. He was born February 1966, followed in his grandfather's footsteps, and entered the Hindi film industry. Nadia Dwala was the writer and producer of the first Houseful movie, which featured Gia Khan. On May 10, 1992, 26-year-old Nadia Dwala married 18-year-old actress Divya Bharti. Less than a year later, on April 5, 1993, during a small get-together at Divya's house, she lost her balance while sitting on the edge of the balcony and fell five stories to her death. Divya was just 19 at the time, and while some question whether Divya's death was possibly murder or suicide because it happened in front of a crowd, and since she was inebriated at the time, Divya's death has been declared an accident. Nadia Dwala was so heartbroken over Divya's death that he carries a picture of her in his wallet to this day. On the first anniversary of Divya's death, Nadia Dwala was interviewed by journalist Warda Khan. Warda helped him pick up the pieces and get his career back on track. They became engaged in 2000 and were married in 2004 and since have had two sons together. In June 2021, during an online chess match for charity, Nadia Dwala and a friend were caught cheating. Their chess.com accounts were suspended for violating fair play. So yes, he's a Saeed. But no, he does not appear to be a scumbag. (laughs) Yes, he cheated at a charity event. And yes, he married an 18-year-old child when he was 26. But at least there are no harassment complaints or allegations. The bar for a decent person is so low. (laughs) So low. (laughs) Just so low. What is this? That's weird. Case within a case within a side note. Side note. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even sure if that was uh, grammatically correct. I love that. So there's one other case I want to mention while we're here because it has similarities to Gia's case, but it also has similarities to Divya's case. Disha Salian was a talent manager who worked for actor Sushant Singh Rajput. On June 9th, 2020, Disha died after falling 14 stories from the balcony of her apartment. She was just 28 at the time. Allegedly, while hosting a party at her home, Disha consumed a lot of alcohol and told her friends she felt depressed and that no one cares for her anymore. A friend, no, This person isn't a friend. I'm going to say it. Someone who said they were her friend uh, who was at the party told her she was being a party pooper. So Disha locked herself in her bedroom. When she didn't respond to repeated knocks on the door, a few people pushed the door open. Disha wasn't inside, but the window was open. They ran downstairs and found Disha on the ground. Disha died on the way to the hospital. In November 2022, The CBI concluded that Deesha's death was an accident, but not everyone seems to agree with the CBI's findings. Politician Nitesh Rain believes Deesha was murdered and that it was covered up because a high-profile politician attended the party where Deesha was killed. 
Oh. Nitesh tweeted, quote, I don't blame the CBI in Disha's case. CBI entered only after 72 days. From 8th June, the cleanup was done so well with the help of the government that by the time the CBI entered, nothing could be recovered. Master of all cover-ups. There has been no evidence of any cover-up, but maybe that just means the cover-up was just really well done. But something that made Disha's death even more like a conspiracy was just five days later, on June 14th, her client, the actor Sushant, was found hanging from a ceiling fan in his home in Mumbai. He was just 34. Now, Sushant did suffer from depression and bipolar disorder, so investigators were treating his death as a suicide. There were no signs of foul play at the scene. Sushant's death was, cause of death was asphyxia due to hanging. Sushant began dating actress Rhea Chekraborty, in the summer of 2019, the couple moved in together after a few months. In June 2020, Rhea moved out and was staying with her parents when Sushant died six days later. On July 25th, Sushant's family filed a report with police accusing six people of abetment of suicide. The six people included Rhea, her brother, and her parents. A month later, they were also accused of laundering money from Sushant's bank account. While investigating the abetment accusation, investigators learned that Rhea allegedly purchased drugs from her brother and gave them to Sushant. Investigators believe that those drugs may have led to Sushant's death. So on September 8, 2020, Rhea and her brother were arrested by the Narcotics Control Bureau. Rhea was granted bail and released from jail 28 days later. As of January 2023, there have been no further arrests in Sushant's death. But, out of the side note, back to Gia Khan, I don't, I, I love that I didn't write it here, but my point was, um, I don't think Saeed, either one for that matter, I don't think that he had anything to do with her death. Right. It was just the fact that he was a real creep. She yeah. was surrounded by creeps and uh, anything true crime related. And I'm going to bring it if I find it. Of course. So, so if Gia was murdered, it's more than possible she was murdered by a stranger. It's possible. Yeah. I know that you tend to know your, a lot of people, statistically, you know your killer, but... It could have also been a stranger. Her apartment was on the first floor, and allegedly one of the apartment windows was open at the time. Is it possible someone climbed up through the window to avoid security cameras and took Gia's life? Maybe it was a crazed fan. I bet someone like that would love to take Gia's tracksuit as a souvenir. Just a thought. Yeah. So before I go... There are some things that came up during this case that just felt off to me. And remember, I am not accusing anyone or anything in this moment. I'm just saying these things struck me as strange. Yes. So here is my list of things that don't sit right with me. Gia's mother, Rabia, said her friend Anju invited her over for a visit that night. But during a, an interview with Anju, she said, quote, Then all of a sudden, Rabia came over. 
which makes it sound like Rabia was maybe unannounced. Maybe it's nothing. Just, again, doesn't sit right with me. Yeah. Uh, when Rabia found Gia's body, instead of calling a doctor, she called her friend Anju first. I, yep. I get that it was a moment of panic, but it still feels odd to me because it delayed a doctor by uh, over 10 minutes. Yeah. Aditya was at Gia's apartment with Anju and Manu around 1130. But Aditya refused to go upstairs and chose to stay on the ground floor. But then Aditya went back to the apartment around 3 a.m. Just to look at the scene. And he went inside? In the bedroom. Yep. He claims he didn't go in the bedroom. Rabia says that he did. But he was asked why he went back. And he said he went to give his condolences. And to that I say, maybe 3 a.m. is not the time for that. Maybe wait. Let her family have a night of rest. Yeah. Maybe. But why would you go back? Did you go check? Were you checking the scene to make sure there wasn't anything incriminating? I don't know. That's weird. Um, Something else. Siraj initially said that they mutually broke up on June 2nd. Later, he claimed he was the one who broke up with her. He said, quote, oh, yes, she was upset with my breakup. And he's claiming she was so upset and distraught that he broke up with her that she took her own life. You said before that it was mutual and you both agreed. Uh, Again, might be nothing, but it just makes me suspicious when someone changes their story. But whether it was murder or suicide, the death of Gia Khan was a terrible loss. She was a natural talent who died before the world was able to see what she was capable of. And while she may have suffered from depression and intrusive thoughts, there are still things about her death that just don't add up to suicide. Why were there no fingerprints on her cell phone or on the ceiling fan? What happened to the outfit that Gia was seen wearing just minutes before her death? To quote Gia's mother, quote, the truth has not yet surfaced. Reporting for True Crime and Cocktails, I'm Christy Oxborough. And I'm intrigued. Uh, let's take one more quick break because I've got lots of thoughts and I want to get into them. So grab another drink, hit the can, and we'll be right back with our thoughts and feelings about the Gia Khan case on this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're, of course, discussing the case of Gia Khan. I have many thoughts. Going yeah. back to the beginning here, as we always do. Um, I do need you to know, dear listeners, I, I Googled on the break, and she was stunning. Like, it's right? weird how beautiful yeah. she is. Like, yeah. um, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Um, there's so much about this that seems so off to me. I mean, the first thing, of course, is that it it really obviously seems like she was in an abusive relationship with Siraj. Um, yeah. I think that's fair to say. Um, again, we know that she's been she had referenced physical violence, but but the 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 cycle that they were in with the texting and the breaking up and the blocking and the coming back and the sending flowers and then sending you away. And that is just such a like toxic spiral. Um, doesn't mean that he's guilty of murder, obviously. Uh, sure. but it's important to note, I think for state of mind and all of the above. Um, but also that doesn't mean that she killed herself. You know, like there's, there's also that you can be depressed and that doesn't automatically mean you're going to be suicidal. Um, and the one thing I just wanted to say about that letter, because I can see what they're saying, but like, look, if we were all held to the things that we may have journaled or written down or whatever, sure, as being indicative of of something like that, I just feel like, you know, there's a difference also between suicidal thoughts and being suicidal i think that that's an important thing to message or a message to remember that that lots of people can have those thoughts it doesn't mean that someone acts on them you know so again i just think even if she was in a moment where and and look yes she alluded to it in that letter but i also didn't really feel like it was outright saying i have a plan this is what i'm going to do you know right. which is kind of more along the lines of being suicidal than um Potentially just writing. She also never gave him the letter as far as we know. So, I mean, I'm somebody who I write letters all the time when I'm trying to work through things that I never send to the person. That's how I like work through it. It's like, this is all the things I want to say. And then once you've written it down, it's like, okay, well, I feel better. I don't feel like I have to necessarily yeah. reach it's, out to that ex or, you right. know. It's it's out there. You let it go. Right. It can be gone. It yes. can be a way that you process things. So I just feel hesitant, especially because that letter was so hidden away. It just didn't strike me as being a note, personally. Yes. That's just my personal opinion. Um, It's weird that her mom called her friend and then waited for them to get there, and then the friend called the doctor. I obviously don't know what yeah. the 911 situation is like there, but was she still yeah. alive? I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, is there a piece that we're not getting the full story on? And then the right. other questions I have are, there was multiple cases you mentioned in this episode where someone was hanging from a ceiling fan. And I, I am curious how you do that so that the ceiling fan doesn't get ripped out of the ceiling. Yeah. Because the weight of a body, even if you're an extremely small person, is still going to typically be about 100 pounds for a very petite woman. Sure. Um, 100 pounds is a fair amount of weight. I just didn't realize that these were so sturdy. I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm curious about how, 
how she was hanging, about how the scarf was affixed. I, I just have lots of questions about that. But what's interesting about that is, is that we have no crime scene photographs of that because she was taken down. Correct. One could argue, in the grand scheme of throwing out anything, I am not alleging anything about anybody, but we're also, we only are going by one person's, or I guess three people's accounts, right? Saying that she was found hanging. We don't know. Um, right. It's just interesting to me. And the ceiling fan was above her bed, correct? I do believe so. The room seemed really small. So it right. seemed like it was pretty much just a bed with the fan above it. So I guess that's how one would step on the bed to then reach that high. I guess for me, the only other thing is is just about the height. And it's a real shame that the police didn't ever do a test about that. A woman of her height or a person of her height. Um to test what the logistics would be because the only other thing not to be, you know, morbid, but this is a true crime podcast. Um, when someone is hanging, the body has this inclination to try and save itself. Sure. So if she was, you know, it I, I don't know like that someone can necessarily – I'm not saying it's never happened, but like the idea that it's like you would have to will yourself not to reach with your feet to try and find something to stabilize yourself on. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, if she was tall enough to reach to do it, then it one would think that she would be tall enough to kind of instinctually save herself with her feet on the bed. Yeah, it just doesn't add up to me. It's odd. No. I'm yes. not saying it didn't happen. It could have, but it's just odd. The 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 in and out and in and out and in and out of the apartment is also like odd. Yeah. The fact that she was with her mother all day, they split up and then they were meeting up again. Where does her mom live? Like why is she coming back? Did she come back to the house for a reason? Again, it's just a lot of it's very chaotic. It's it's fascinating. Um I think her mom lived in London at the time and was visiting. Oh, is the impression okay. that I got. That makes a little more sense. Okay. Um, I mean, again, you know, it's interesting because Siraj being so toxic and abusive has no credibility, right? Or, or has less credibility, it feels. So when he's saying things like she has this history of depression, she had history of harming herself, she had an attempted suicide... And the mom is saying, no, none of that is true. And then he's also saying, well, she was feeling a certain way about her mom. She wanted to get away from her mom, those kinds of things. And the mom is, of course, saying, no, that isn't true. It's interesting because I would tend to believe the mother because we know that Siraj had this very chaotic, toxic, abusive relationship with Gia. But then... If we know that there's no evidence that's linking him to the scene, although I would also argue the scene was not properly handled. So. Agreed. But if, for argument's sake, let's say he didn't do it, what does he gain by making those lies? What does he gain, right? If yeah. he's not covering for himself or someone he knows is guilty, those lies... 
if they were lies, don't make any sense. There's no motive to lie. Yeah. Well, one thing that I just noticed, that rapid succession of text messages that he sent her. Yeah. The last one he sent was 1121. Her mother arrived at 1122. He sent her nothing after that. He was like, call me, call me. Like every five minutes, he was like, you need to call me ASAP. So the his dad supposedly wouldn't have known at 1122. So why was Siraj, he supposed, the father called Siraj at like 1136 to say, stay home, I'll be right there. So assuming he went home and then that's how Siraj found out something happened to Gia, why didn't he send anything after 1121? It, that's a great question. Is it like, well, I've sent them. Well, now it's too late. It's a great question. Like you sent so many in such a small span and then and just does, stopped? Does Rabia and the family believe that Siraj for sure killed her or they don't know who killed her? They believe he was involved. They believe he was involved. Yes. I mean, it's that's just, it's a really good point. Why, if you're in that state where you're texting nonstop, you don't yes. just tend to stop conveniently at the moment that at the, the body one minute is found. before she's going to be found. Yeah, that's a really great point. The fact I, that there was no prints on her phone, uh, there was no prints on the ceiling fan. If she did manipulate herself up there, legitimately. Yes. If anybody did, there would be fingerprints on the ceiling fan. There'd have Correct. to be. So yep. then if that means they've been wiped clean. But then the timeline, it's like, who would have had the time to commit this crime, clean it all up, and get out in time? If we know, you know what I mean? Like, if we know the time of death is is only a half an hour, I mean, I guess that's enough time to do that. But you've really got a lot premeditated if you're thinking yep. to wipe down the cell phone after you yep. deleted things from it. Yeah. I mean, that's when I, I always start to think about like calculate, um, like a, like a hit person because then yeah. you're dealing with a professional that would think about those things as opposed to like a crime of passion, something that happens in the heat of the moment. Typically people aren't cleaning up so well. Sure. The fact the tracksuit was never found, you know, these are things that, again, you one would think that if it was a not a premeditated murder, then there would have been a mistake made. There would have been something that got forgotten. I mean, we've done this show long enough to know, and I've watched enough episodes of Dateline to know yeah. they always miss something, you know? Yeah. And then it's like when the, when his father came back at 3 a.m., did he claim things? That's a great point, too. Because did they actually check for fingerprints at the time, or did they come back and do it later? It's interesting that they are friends, that her mom and his yeah. dad were seemingly at the same get-together. Yes. Now, granted, I know that everybody lived close, so that, I guess that can kind of make sense, maybe, but but that's not to say that Siraj's dad necessarily lived close. Um, 
right? That's odd to me. I mean, again, not impossible. They run in the same crowd. I mean, if she was an ex-actress and he was an actor and had all this power in the industry, of course they could be running in the same friend circle. But I don't know. Again, it's it's just that feeling of uneasiness that it's like I, I honestly don't even know if you ask me, like, who do you think did it? I don't even really know how to answer that question. I don't know that I even have a speculation. It's just that it feels like there's there's so much odd behavior and odd details on on so many ends. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, Again, just, it just feels there's like... There's too much. There's a lot of... Yeah. Like, there's no sort of straight line to me. Um, and it could have been a stranger. Absolutely. I mean, that's always possible. It's always, like, less likely, but it is possible. Um... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the only other thing I will say, and I am not alleging anything when I say this, but when you said he returned to the to the scene, I was just like, well, they often say that killers do return to the scene of the crime. But anyway, yeah, <laughs> I'm not suggesting at all. I'm not even alleging that because, again, if the – it's just interesting that they're each other's alibi, potentially, right? Yeah. That, that Rabia and – um. Suraj's father were potentially with Anju were at this were hanging out together like they were each other's alibi which I'm not suggesting that that means anything it's just wild like it it's I'd like to know how often did they do that yeah how often how did often they often see they... each other how often yeah. did they you know they both did not want their children in those relation in that relationship well, that's so it feels like too, right? both of them would be like, we'd like that to end. Yeah. I don't know. I honestly don't know. It is that it, this is so confounding. It's like such an interesting case because there's just so little to go on. And there's so much video footage. There's so much yeah. um, CCTV footage that it's like, I guess the bottom line is this. It doesn't feel like a cut and dry suicide to me. It's always frustrating when the police treat it as such, obviously. Yes. Because I i mean, it's safe to say that things don't get investigated the same way. We know this. We've, we've, we've talked about this a lot, a lot on this show. And, and I just really wish there was, even if there was a clear cut case of suicide i just think everyone should be investigated the same way i think that that should be a protocol we've seen it so many times on this show that it's the police just say oh it was a suicide and then things don't get properly handled and then yep. later it comes out that it's like oh shoot maybe it wasn't it's just an, it's it's infuriating it's infuriating because again it I, to me it just feels like it should be the same set of standards let's just always always assume <laughs> guilty until proven innocent. You know what I mean? Like, let's yes. always assume that it's not a suicide, even if it looks like it's cut and dry. Let's never assume. A hundred percent. I understand that that's, you know, takes energy and time and manpower and money and all of the above. But I, I just, yeah. The fact that the scarf was never tested, the fact that there was no fingerprints anywhere. Yep. If we had thought this was a murder from the beginning, I would hope the scarf would at least get tested. Yes. Oh, and then Treat the only other every thing... every crime scene like a murder. Yeah. 
treat every crime scene like a murder. Period. Yeah. I just, even if it's an accident. You know what I mean? Like, we've yeah. just seen it so many times on this show. It's such a common occurrence where it's like, oh, wait, but yes, but no, but, you know? I don't know. Um, yeah. Did you have any other thoughts? Um, did I did, did I mention the oval mark? You I did feel like briefly. I did briefly. Yes. Yeah. Uh, like there there are autopsy photos. Yeah. Um, I in the case file I will post um the um one of the bruise. Uh, I wasn't gonna post, and I probably won't. Um, the shot where you see her full face to see the marks, but the the oval when you first look at it. It looks like someone has just drawn with a Sharpie to show you in the photo what you're supposed to focus on. But then when you look in the photo, you realize, no, that's just a weird oval mark that happened. And it's not seen in any of that security footage. So that mark somehow happened in that, like, less than 30 minute span when she died. But I can't figure out what it's from. I did a quick Google. Of course. And there was, because I was like, is that normal? And there is, there was someone that, a a different forensic expert that said that that was more, uh, where is it here? Other causes or objects should have been considered, such as a blunt impact from a patterned object or a ligature made of a different material. About about the oval mark. Right. So again, it's like, and then and then this this person went on to say, the marks on the left arm and the lower lip are consistent with assaultive injuries. The marks of ligature and the mark on the chin are not consistent with simple hanging. See, so then how'd she get it? Yeah, this is making it sound like this person's belief is that there was, um, now again, I've just done a quick Google. I have not fact-checked. Obviously, I'm just, you know, putting out there, like, what it could also be. Um, Yeah, this is speculating that the death, she was killed before and that she was then staged to hang. But again, you know, um, that that would make sense, again, that there would be these, like, signs of struggle or assault and again what else is making that oval it just doesn't add up yeah it's almost like someone was waiting for her and hit her with something that caused that she went down and that's when they choked her with something yeah I just I just don't believe she hung herself I don't I it doesn't feel like that to me either and again, that's why it's also like, I find it heartbreaking that someone could be going through emotional issues or mental health issues. And then because of that, it's just easy to pin it on that. You know, like yep. it's it's not fair on so many levels. There are um, so many people that that deal with those kinds of issues all the time. And I, I just think it's really uh, gross to then just say, oh, well, she has this history of this and this is whatever. It's like, okay, well, that might be a factor that we should absolutely include in this report. But that doesn't mean just close the book. Right? Yeah. It's it's oh, it's yeah. it's so – I just think it's it's so disrespectful to um, 
to the victim to just go, well, if there's that history, then obviously. Um, but it's also then interesting, like, like I said before, and this is the, this is the last thing I'll say, if Suraj didn't do it, why would he be pushing so hard to paint her with that suicide brush? What is his motive? Truth. Why wouldn't he also be saying she could have been murdered? Yeah. And let's why find is he out. pushing it yeah. so hard? And if he wasn't able to be physically there and it, it, it wasn't him, well, was it someone he knew or was he a part of it in some way? Because again, it just doesn't like psychologist hat on. It's not human nature. You know what I mean? Like if you've lost this person that you cared about, even though they had a very toxic connection. Yes. And you truly know absolutely nothing. I don't believe that it is typical human behavior to go, oh, well, this is what it was. She killed herself. I feel like typical human behavior is, oh, my God, what happened? Sure. Anything is possible. And he would, I would think, want it to be suicide even less because then it implicates him. He's still in, tied up in court proceedings because of the abetment, yep. the suicide abetment charge. So, again, it doesn't serve him is my point. Not to say anything is possible. How can I help? Let's let's figure this out. And his changing stories also irk me. So again, I'm not I'm not speculating anything. I'm just saying I think that that's if I was a detective, that would be something that of I would course. not I would look at because it feels like odd. If I was a detective, solid name for this show. If I was a detective. Yeah. Well, two years Listen. too late. <laughs> we just, we, it just shows how far we've come. Because and you know, we started this wearing shirts that said, I'm not a detective. Yeah. And now it's like, well, if I was. Well, and you know what I'd also like to say? Yeah. In a sense, aren't we? <laughs> We're not legally detectives. Sure. But we do I detecting. Think, I think in some of the cases, I'm not saying in all of them. Yeah. In some of them. I think we did more work than the investigators in the case. I think that's probably true. The ones um, where it's like they didn't secure the scene or they didn't look into it or whatever. And it's like, I spent so many hours with this scene, you know, like, so it just feels. How about this? Give us a shot. We may not be able to call ourselves detectives. Yes. But we are absolutely investigators. It's a longer podcast title, but I like it. <laughs> On that note, thank you so much for joining us on this journey, dear listeners. We so appreciate your support. If you haven't already, give us a follow on the socials on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at True Crime and Cocktails, on Twitter at Not Detectives. And if you'd like some more content, bonus episodes, get able, being able to vote in a monthly poll, all of the above, head over to patreon.com slash Cocktails to learn more about our subscription-based bonus services over there. And finally, the only place for official True Crime and Cocktails merch is truecrewmerch.com. So check that out if you feel you'd like to. Christy, do you want to tell the people about next week's episode? On the next True Crime and Cocktails, Dorothy Arnold and Ambrose Small. Is that a two for one? It's a two cases in one. I love it. So stay tuned for that, dear listeners. Uh, Christy, do you want to say goodnight to the people? Good night, Grimace.
Good night, Daddy Grimace. <laughs>